oh, we don't always need another law to have a solution. I agree with you, but sometimes you need to take a stand and send a message to say, absolutely not, not here in happy, wholesome Indiana. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content. More conversation coming up after this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. National security officials standing side by side this week, including Indiana's own Dan Coats, our former senator, now the director of national intelligence, saying Russian election interference is a real thing and that they're working to prevent it from happening again, even as the president once again refers broadly to the Russia probe as a hoax. Good morning. My colleague Matt Smith joins me today. As of tomorrow, wow. Matt, the midterms three months away, Crazy. certainly in the midst of all of this, our former Senator Dan Coats has been in the news a lot lately. We saw that a couple days yeah. ago and just a few days before that. We talked with a guy who's really still in the know, former yeah. deputy director of the FBI, head of the TSA, John Pistol, now president at Anderson University. He still has a lot big role in Washington, so we sat down and talked about some of the big issues this week. The intelligence community continues to be concerned about the threats of upcoming U.S. elections, both the midterms and the presidential elections of 2020. In regards to Russian involvement in the midterm elections, we continue to see a pervasive messaging, messaging campaign by Russia to try to weaken and divide the United States. Well, I think it's a challenging time where policy is often um, promulgated through tweets. Anderson University President John Pistol still knows a lot and had a lot to say when we chatted this past week. The former head of TSA and deputy director at the FBI maintains his security clearance in Washington and sits on an advisory board for Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats. Well, I think he's got uh, great uh, credibility and integrity, which are two of the, the, the key components to success uh, in D.C. Uh, he's got a great team, so his leadership team, and then just the men and women of the intelligence community, 17 agencies are comprised of that. He's taken on some huge challenges. What's the biggest threat, broadly speaking, facing the U.S. today? Well, so that's, uh, the cyber is, is really yeah. up there, both from state actors, Russia and China in particular. Pistol, who was a top contender to lead the FBI after President Trump fired James Comey, is close with current director Chris Wray. Ray visited the Indianapolis field office this past week as part of a nationwide tour when the FBI is under intense pressure from the president. What's morale like within the FBI? Well, it's, it's mixed, I think. So in Washington, um, where, yeah, I was speaking with a friend at FBI headquarters last week, and, and it's, it's mixed because of the beating, frankly, that uh, the FBI has taken in the press by by Republicans uh, in the House in particular, and then of course the President, and his denigrating the reputation of the Bureau, uh, his dismissal basically of, of his Attorney General, who the FBI reports to. So, uh, so it's, it's down, morale's down because of that, but the good news is the great work that they're doing, um, I think carries people. On Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, Pistol worked under him for more than half a decade. He never made one decision that I questioned his integrity, never did anything, anything he said or did. And when you're working closely with somebody, yeah, so just a, a complete man of integrity and, and I have complete confidence in 
his investigation, I have no idea. For example, Manafort trial started today, first trial. Um, yeah, I have complete confidence that I know some of the attorneys um, on the prosecution team, and they are top-notch, sharp attorneys. I, I would not want to be under investigation by Bob Mueller or his team. So John Pistol still really in tune yeah. with what's happening in Washington and having those conversations with a lot of the top leaders in the intelligence agency. And, and some really candid remarks Absolutely. from a guy who nearly was named director of yeah. the FBI by President Trump. Yep. All right, Matt, thanks. On another topic, you uh, also spoke with Governor Holcomb this week, who's now pushing for hate crime legislation here in Indiana. This made some news. This, of yeah. course, following that anti-Semitic vandalism at the synagogue in Carmel uh, last weekend. The governor saying it is now time for a change in state law. Police have received tips but are still looking for whoever is responsible for spray painting Nazi flags and iron crosses. I think it's long overdue that we uh, move forward as a state. Governor Eric Holcomb said it's finally time for Indiana to adopt hate crime legislation. Indiana is one of just five states without a hate crime law. Legislation in recent years at the hands of Republican leaders has failed. Most of the other states have realized a hate crime is very different from just vandalism or graffiti. The Indianapolis Jewish Community Relations Council called on all state lawmakers to approve a law that would enforce tougher penalties for hate crimes. This is something that um, I'll be working with legislative members and, and leaders and I'll be working with legal um, scholars and I'll be working with the corporate community um, to prove uh, that we can move forward, and, and we will. All right, meantime, Republican lawmakers also putting out statements in the past week. The next incoming Senate President Pro Tem, Roderick Bryce, saying, quote, is it unacceptable that some individuals choose to hide their faces while spewing hate and intimidation? Over the past few years, my colleagues and I have worked to craft legislation that mirrors our Hoosier hospitality. I am pleased to collaborate with Governor Holcomb and my colleagues in the House of Representatives to continue that work. Meantime, here's House Speaker Brian Bosma calling the vandalism sickening and disheartening, also pointing out the fact that a summer study committee will be looking at this issue in the coming weeks. He also said, though, Indiana judges already have the ability to enhance sentences based on a criminal's motivation when presented with evidence of bias, but perhaps more needs to be done to clarify and highlight this existing provision. All right, Matt, thanks. We'll see what happens this year at the State House. Also this past week, I spoke with State Rep Greg Porter, who's been pushing for hate crime legislation for many years now. Well, I was very appreciative to our governor for stepping out and saying it's time to do it. Uh, I think from the legislative caucus perspective, particularly the Black Caucus, we've had this on our agenda for a number of years and our meetings with the governor and the attorney general and other leadership have said that this is one of the top of uh, five prior priorities that we want to do in regards to hate crime legislation. So it's something that he's known about. What, what is the issue here? What are you afraid of? Why do you want to stand in the way of, of doing something, uh, passing legislation for, for all? You know, it, it, it's, it's very interesting that our, our governor, our previous governors talked about a state that works. Works for who? Does it work for everyone? Also Friday, the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus put out a statement on the controversial remarks that recently surfaced before he was elected a state senator from Fort Wayne. Andy Zay sent someone a message saying, quote, racism is not real. The IBLC inviting Senator Zay to meet with them, adding, quote, it doesn't go far enough to say that members of the IBLC are appalled by the remarks or that we're stunned that he has yet to apologize for them. They go on to say, 
Here's a chance for a teaching moment. They're encouraging him to meet with them and to support hate crime legislation in next session. We'll keep you posted. Coming up with three months till the midterms, we're talking about the race for Senate. The debate schedule is now out. Plus, we'll talk more about the fight for fundraising and emotional moments for Vice President Pence receiving the returned remains of fallen veterans of the Korean War. All right, time now to bring in our panel, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner, two former state lawmakers, Republican Mike Murphy, Democrat Christina Hale, and Indy Star columnist Tim Swearens. Uh, talking about the week that was uh, on Twitter, and Tim, not always possible to hang on uh, every tweet from the president, but certainly another interesting week on the president's Twitter account saying that Attorney General Jeff Sessions should stop the Russia probe, again saying that the, quote, fake news is the enemy of the people, something his own daughter distance herself from this week as that divide there as the president continues to call out the press. It, and it leads to some really ugly scenes like we saw in Florida at, at the Trump rally uh, where people were uh, not just angry but scarily angry at the media who were gathered there to cover. Uh, it's unfortunate the president continues to stoke that. Now there's real resentment and distrust of the media. That's real. It's something our profession has to deal with. But it's unfortunate the president capitalizes on that. Where are we going on all of this news? The Russia probe, everything that's happening. Uh, Dan Coats and others standing side by side at the White House saying, yes, Russian interference is a real thing. It's the Wild West when even the Cook brothers get criticized by the president. But I want to harken back to something Tim said, too. The free press provides a very fundamental function to government. We have to have people that can cover with transparency. We have to have public trust. And this is something that really um, is in everybody's best interest when we introduce these thoughts, it's incredibly dangerous to the fundamental um, tenets of our democracy. Well, let's talk about the Koch brothers. You just mentioned them, the president uh, even throwing some shade at the Koch brothers on Twitter this week. They did not back him in 2016, so that's not too stunning. But is it surprising to see uh, this from the RNC this past week as we scroll down here? Uh, warning donors to steer clear of the once powerful Koch network that helped flip Congress in 2010, just well, a few short years ago. Well, they did. Now, the Koch brothers uh, will say they're libertarian, not necessarily Republican, but they're, they're pretty darn Republican in my, in my view, certainly, more than George Soros, that's for sure, right? <laughs> um, but the, the fact is, you don't, I don't think you want to take on the Koch brothers. They have unlimited money. Um, they're, they're right on many of the issues. And I think uh, the president takes them on at, at his own peril. We'll see how it all plays out. What does this mean for the divide, uh, perhaps? There's a divide in the Democratic Party yeah. and in the Republican I just, Party. I just finished up a column today about that very issue. Everybody's really pissed off right now on both <laughs> sides of the aisle, was, so you don't have to read it. There's, that's, the, that's the nut graph. Right. Um, you know, the thing about the Koch brothers, the interesting part of that response to the, the RNC thing was they basically said, you know, this contradicts our, uh, our commitment to being bipartisan. So yes, they are traditionally more libertarian, but they are actually making it part of their brand promise going forward that if Democrats do smart things that align with their values, Republicans do smart things that align with their values, they're not shying away from supporting that, which is kind of a breath of fresh air right now. The Koch brothers, uh, by the way, uh, no immediate plans to back Mike Braun in this year's Senate race, but he is on a list of Indiana candidates who will be getting some funding directly from the Trump campaign, a sign that perhaps this really is Donald Trump's GOP. It is, Dan, that's, yeah. you're absolutely right. It's another indication that, this, that, that Donald Trump is the Republican Party in 2018. 
ask Bob Cork or, or, or right. Jeff Flake. And in the meantime, you have a number of uh, other Indiana candidates getting funding uh, from the Trump campaign, along with uh, Greg Pence, Representatives Wolarski and Hollingsworth, who are both in semi-competitive uh, districts this year. But all of this to show, as we said, this isn't the Republican Party of, uh, of just a few years ago. It absolutely isn't. I, I'm glad to see the Koch brothers, too, at least saying, we'll keep an open mind. We'll reconsider. That telegraphs an important thought out there to everyone that, you know, this isn't just some calcified, idealistic, now, I, I have no love for the Cook brothers, don't get me wrong, but I am glad they're thinking. I, I think the clearest indication of, of the change in the Republican Party just in, in six years is Mitch Daniels' own repeated statement when he says, I feel homeless in my own party. Now, Mitch Daniels is an icon of the Republican Party, not just in Indiana, but nationally as well. And for him to feel homeless in the Republican Party, that says something. What does all this mean for the race for Senate for a, a candidate like Mike Braun? Well, I think Mike Braun wants to stay out of that uh, inter-party, that uh, family fight. Uh, but he needs the funding He, he needs someone. the funding, yeah. and I think he'll be willing to take money from the president's campaign, but also from the Koch brothers if, if it's offered. Um, I think Mike Pence is in a really interesting yeah. position here. He has a long history with the Koch brothers, obviously very t uh, close ties with the Trump campaign and, and the president now. Uh, what, what is Mike Pence thinking? What is he saying? Uh, behind the scenes about this. Tim, Tim has a good point. I mean, Mike Pence spoke at the, um, the Koch Brothers Summit in sure. Nebraska just a couple years ago. Fred Klipsch, a very well-known businessman and pusher for education reform here in the state, was you know, going to those kinds of events with the Koch Brothers. So it's going to have a ripple effect all the way through the Republican Party in this midterm election. But year, that's yeah. just, that's right now. That's what, what are we, 93 days out, I think? Three months away. Yeah, that's right now. And two years ago, could you have predicted this? No, two years from now, who knows what will happen. Right. It's, a, yeah, it's a love story. We don't know if they're going to break up or not. <laughs> but it's fun to watch. See where it goes yeah. with three um, months to go to the midterms. Yeah. Let's talk about that race for Senate more. Uh, Mike Braun, Senator Joe Donnelly, and Libertarian Senate candidate Lucy Brenton will hold two debates this fall, October 8th and October 30th, Braun has been calling for more than two debates, and I asked Senator Donnelly about that in a recent interview. Two debates are being scheduled mm -hmm. in the campaign. Uh, the Braun campaign said you were, quote, scared to face Hoosiers in more than two debates <laughs> because he knows he can't defend his record in the Senate. They said Braun is ready to make his case in more than two debates sponsored by the debate commission. What's, what's your response to that? Are oh. you willing to do more? You, you, you heard me laugh because... Um, in 2012, we worked with the debate commission, followed all the plans, and did exactly what they asked, which was two debates. And so we're simply following what the debate commission has done before. When you're behind like uh, Mike Braun is, this is the kind of argument you make. Okay, Donnelly uh, hitting the campaign trail this week with the Senate on, on recess. What do you make of this debate over the debates? I also chortled in response to the debate over the <laughs> debates. This is, a, this is a perennial thing that uh, challengers do. They call for 25 debates. They never get them. The two that have been scheduled probably will be the only two that happen. Uh, and, you know, and, and they'll be interesting to watch. But Joe Donnelly's a guy who got asked on live TV when uh, Kavanaugh was nominated and handled it flawlessly. So I'm not really worried about his performance in the debates. And I'm guessing Mike Braun probably should be. Senator Donnelly referenced the 2016 debates. No doubt that was the turning point uh, in 20, I should say, in 2012 with all of the controversy. Oh, sure, with, with Murdoch, who, by the way, is off on a, a life-changing uh, motorcycle ride around Newfoundland, I guess. Hmm. Um, 
the uh, the I debate. Did not know that. The, yeah. <laughs> You've got to keep yeah. track. You got to keep track of. Are you of, joining? From my yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I've never gone on a motorcycle in my life. But the fact is that this is typical challenger strategy to challenge them to as many debates as you can, and it's typical for the incumbent to turn them down. And there is such a thing as two main debates. I think two is perfect. Maybe three, but two is good. All right. At the state level today, talking about the new push for hate crime legislation after the anti-Semitic graffiti in Carmel last weekend. Tim, in a column this past week, you wrote it is simply insufficient to describe this crime as vandalism, which some have done. And, and you write that as the governor has said that it's uh, finally time to pass hate crime legislation in our state, one of only five states that does not have a hate crime law. Horrific crime uh, goes well beyond vandalism, and we should, we, treat, we should treat it legally as something well beyond vandalism. Politics of this meantime uh, making news as well. In Carmel, State Senator Mike Delft's district, his opponent, J.D. Ford, and Senator Greg Taylor issuing a, a joint statement saying, quote, Mike Delft uh, offering only words in response. It's past time we ensure our laws protect all Hoosiers and reflect true Hoosier values. We're committed to working for a hate crime bill we call on Senator Delft to put action behind his talk and join us this week after uh, the prayer service. Delft was asked about the legislation by a reporter, and Delft said, quote, now is not the time to discuss hate crime legislation. What's and, your response? And why wouldn't it be? We've seen so much in the news, you know, Papa John, others. It's it's stirred up. And certainly I think everybody on most sides of this will acknowledge we have a great deal of racial tension in this country, certainly in this state. And why not step up? Why not make a statement? We're one of only five states. That says something. We should take heed. And Governor Holcomb this week saying he does want to see us make that change. Will that be the governor calling for this be the thing that finally moves it the other direction. Well, it certainly doesn't hurt it, but I, I have to say, I don't want to be the contrarian here, but I have to say there are legitimate differences on whether there should be hate crime legislation or not. We've talked about it for many years in the legislature, as you know, and some people uh, don't understand why um, if you kill um, a gay man, for example, it's worse than killing a white man. Right? Uh, or a, a non-gay man, or what do you want to call it? Straight man. So my point is... But that's not, uh, that's that, not exactly what right, you are talking about. But my point is that, my point is, we don't know, we do not know who did that. And we don't know to what degree it was a hate crime or not. We don't I'm pretty we, sure we, we do, don't actually. Know we don't know. I mean, but, we do but, not but, know. But the, but the hate crime provision does not kick in until somebody is convicted. And it, and it speaks to an enhanced penalty. Mm -hmm. And we have enhanced penalties with other crimes today. That's long established. Um, what we would be saying as a state is that these crimes, which are intended to intimidate and spark fear in an entire population, people in our own communities, that that's not tolerable, that, we will, that we're going to stand against that. Yes, murder is murder, but there are, much, there are many lesser crimes uh, that are now treated the same when everybody understands that when you spray paint the Nazi flag outside mm -hmm. a synagogue, that is not routine vandalism. And I, and, and I don't think anybody disagrees that that is, would argue that that's not horrible. Absolutely it's horrible. But my point is there are people on two different sides of this, and I think we have to recognize there's going to be some interesting debate. There will be a lot of debate at the State House. We'll talk about it more on our podcast as well. Okay, up next, more of my conversation with Congresswoman Susan Brooks about her recent trip to the border as lawmakers grill immigration officials about what happened with that controversial policy separating children from their families. 
Today, they are known but to God. But soon we will know their names and we will tell their stories of courage. Vice President Mike Pence welcoming home 55 cases draped with American flags inside what are believed to be the remains of U.S. service members from the Korean War. They arrived back home in Hawaii this week after being handed over last week by North Korea on the 65th anniversary of the ceasefire. The identification process is one that could take several years. Also, this past week, top immigration officials went before Congress with Democratic and Republican lawmakers criticizing their handling of the Trump administration's now-reversed zero-tolerance policy that led to the separation of migrant children from their families. The president's daughter, Ivanka Trump, who we talked about earlier, also calling this separation crisis a low point. Recently, I spoke with Indiana Congresswoman Susan Brooks about her recent trip to the border. You recently visited. What was your experience? Who's to blame here and how do we get this figured out? Well, first of all, I do think it was a mistaken policy to have separated children from uh, parents at the border. Uh, But what I think we have also learned and what I hope that people realize and what we certainly learned from talking to Customs and Border Protection agents as well as ICE officials as well as Um, the health and human service officials that are caring for the children now in a temporary uh, situation, some people have presented at the border who are not their parents. Smugglers and human traffickers have learned that if they come in or if people come in with children, they are treated differently in our immigration process than if they come in without children. What's the solution then? Because certainly not is, everyone is involved in that kind of element. Absolutely. Right. And, so, um, and so particularly with those who were under the age of five, DNA testing was done. We needed to make sure, that, and we still need to make sure, that whenever someone says they are a parent, that they are in fact the parent of that child. Okay, we'll have more of that interview on our website. We're back to wrap things up right after this. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Tim, I'll start with you. Winner Eric Holcomb for coming out strongly in favor of a hate crimes law. Winner whoever sold uh, Paul Manafort that hideous jacket for $15,000. The ostrich? Whoa, yes. My winner is Stephanie Wilson, resigned as the governor's press secretary on Friday to become the associate commissioner of higher education. My losers, the RNC. My winner, I agree with Tim on Governor Holcomb. All right, that'll wrap it up for this week's show. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Here on the podcast, we're talking a little bit more about uh, the debate over hate crime legislation. Mike and Tim, you, you guys had a, an interesting back and forth there about this and, and about the debate that we will no doubt see at the, at the State House. Uh, Christina, you also were a former state lawmaker and you've been involved in some of these discussions. Uh, wh- where do you think this is headed? Will there be enough political willpower uh, to do this this year now that the governor is saying? let's uh, make this happen. I think there will be. I think this is the year, you know, the chamber has, the indie chamber's been there. A lot of, there's been a strong cohort. Last year they had a pretty successful PR campaign. And if our governor now is going out on a limb with both the public and likely a number of his donors, I think um, the ducks are in a row and it will go. Governor Holcomb um, seems to have a lot on the line right now. I mean, you, you look at the Curtis Hill thing, you look at perhaps this hate crime legislation, which might not be entirely popular amongst all Republican lawmakers. It will be interesting to see over the next few weeks exactly uh, how much power he wields within the Indiana Republican Party. I think he's in a good position to wield power. 
Uh, he's not been somebody who's actually used it very much, and I think this is the time for him to start doing it. Um, and I think he's, he's actually in, he actually has a lot of power to, to spend. So how does this debate play out? You, well, you talked about, about the, the other, let's talk, the other side of it. First of all, I'll be you know, absolutely transparent. I voted against hate crime legislation every year it came up when I was there, and it's on the record. Anybody can look it up. The reason I did is for some of the reasons we were talking about when the, in the broadcast portion is I believe that you know murder, for example, which is mostly what we talked about back then, is an act of hate no matter who gets killed, right? If you, if you make the decision to shoot somebody or stab somebody to death or whatever way you do it, that is an act of hate in its own right, whether it's a white male or a black female or a gay man or whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Let's talk about... And I think it should be, I think it should be treated equally. Now, times may be changing, right? And I think Holcomb, um, you know, he can, he's in a good position, actually, because he can call for it. If the legislature doesn't do it, he can say, well, I called for it. And if they do do it, he signs it. So he's in a no-good well, yeah, situation. From a very cynical standpoint, I mean, he is inoculating himself against any probable challenge from the left by doing some of these things that he's been doing, by coming out in the Curtis Hill case, by calling for the hate crimes legislation. This whole debate reminds me a little bit of the non-discrimination fight, which ultimately sure. I was part of and, and did not prevail, even though um, same-sex marriage did. Um, we're one of five states that doesn't have this, and it does send a message. And I understand. And it's perhaps been held up on uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, yeah. perhaps in the past. Absolutely. I think that's so, really what's going yeah. on here. Well, and and we have. I mean, there's the difference between, as Mike I think is arguing, yes, there are plenty of laws in place to prosecute these crimes and enhanced penalties do exist. There's that argument, which I understand you're making as a conservative. There's also the argument of, oh my God, we're one of five states that actually doesn't have this law on the books. What message does that send about Indiana to the rest of the country? Also, if we just look at the crime of vandalism, it is one thing if somebody, a couple of kids are out there spray painting somebody's garage with, you know, signs and just, you know, destruction. It's another when people are intentionally to, trying to drive families from neighborhoods. To me, that is a very different crime when it's strategic, when it's intentional, and you're trying to scare people out. That is not just like a couple kids on Halloween, you know. Uh, yeah, it's kill what was yeah, here versus kill what was here and hate gays. Yes. And I guess my, my response to Christina would be that I think this case, partially because they don't know who did it, is a thin case upon which to call for hate crimes legislation. If it were a Charlottesville kind of thing, or if it was something that was so obvious and the organizers were known and they were filled of hate and you had a record of, of uh, internet um, you know, declarations. I don't know if it's just like this that. case or if it's this is just the latest thing in the news that has spurred. Yeah. Uh, and also, are we supposed to wait till something really bad happens and yeah. be like, oh, you know what? All these other things weren't quite bad enough, but this is it, you guys. This is well, it. Well, and I think this case is, this is bad. I mean, what happened yeah. was bad. And I think that's why there's this conversation has come about and so it's come about so strongly and why the governor got involved. I mean, we have people in central Indiana who survived the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. We have second generation uh, Jewish people and others in central Indiana whose parents and other family members lost their lives in the Holocaust. To have this occur in our community um, is, is tragic, and, but, but even worse than that, it was intended to scare and intimidate uh, a segment of our community, and we have to take a stand against that. 
What about the uh, argument that I've often heard Speaker Bosma make, uh, kind of a legal argument? He feels that judges already have the ability to assess further penalties for hate crimes, and he feels this is more of a uh, that, that it needs to be explained more rather than legislated further. What current law is capable of? In I would agree. Do you guys buy that? I, 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 I don't. You the do. solution Christina, you don't. to every issue is not a new law. It just isn't. And, you know, there's, I would feel much more comfortable, and I'd join it if there were a rally or something out there at the, at the synagogue on, I think it was 116th Street, to declare solidarity, you know, with that congregation. Well, that happened. Yeah, there were like a thousand happen. people yeah. there. But my point is that it's the, a law, a new law, it's an easy answer. It's not always the answer. You, can't, you don't just pass a law for every perceived wrong in America. You don't, but this is more than just a law. This is about a message. Look at just our state. We had the mayor of Indianapolis, the governor of the state in the KKK. I mean, go to our Indiana State Museum to read Back more about days, our yeah. yep. history. Not right now. Right. 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 Yeah. Pardon? Not Back at the, in the moment. Days no, oh, forgive right, me, right, right, no. Right, right. I'm talking in, 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 in the, oldest, the yeah. memory of our, our parents and grandparents and we, you know, we had uh, sports teams winning uh, state titles that weren't allowed to have parades because of their race. I mean, we, this is our history. The Grand Wizard of the KKK was in Kokomo for a number of years. And where I grew up in Northwest Indiana, the urban legend was you don't drive to Southern Indiana if you're a person of uh, an African American because of what might happen to you if you get a flat tire. I mean, this is in our our uh, even, our culture. Even and here at some home. point, but to your point. You know, oh, we don't always need another law to have a solution. I agree with you, but sometimes you need to s take a stand and send a message to say, absolutely not, not here in happy, wholesome Indiana. And that's what this is about. State Rep. Greg Porter, who I spoke with this week, also said, in talking about us being one of just five states, he, he described it as uh, being tired of going on, uh, as he called it, an apology tour mm -hmm. uh, for Indiana when, when meeting with, with legislators from other states. Uh, who wonder why we haven't made this change. It, it, it does make us stand out, and, and not in a good way, uh, when we are just one of five states. And, and this is often portrayed as a conservative versus liberal debate, and I, I, I reject that, uh, because when you look at states like Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas and Tennessee, deep red states that have uh, hate crimes legislation on the books, um, we stand out even among conservative Republican states in continuing to reject this argument. And, and with all respect to Mike, I think the arguments today against it in 2018 uh, sound very dated. Uh, and, and the reality is that we are seeing these types of incidents with some regularity, uh, and we need to send a message. And sending a message is important. It shouldn't be discounted as just a message. And I'd just like to say briefly, I think Mike Murphy is a tremendous human being, and we just happen to disagree on this yes. point, but I, I think he is wonderful, and I stand by him as And friend. if someone yes. spray-painted your house with anti-Catholic rhetoric or something like that, <laughs> I, would I would be, the be first there, one and I would be support. at your solidarity rally. Grandpa Murphy is and a great I'd, guy. And I'd say it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, you think this is going to happen this year? Uh, I have my doubts, honestly. I mean, Speaker Rosman's already come out and started hedging. I, I mean, this is days after this happened and started with the same talking points you just referenced. And um, I think, you know, Tim's right. I mean, if Governor Holcomb gets his way and this gets passed, he gets the credit. If he doesn't, it's Speaker Bosma. It's all on him. He's the most powerful guy in the State House. But I certainly hope it does. 
I'm just a natural born cynic. <laughs> and as we said uh, earlier, all of this could be a test somewhat of, of Governor Holcomb's uh, political clout at the State House as well. Yeah. So well, a lot more on this conversation, no doubt, uh, in the weeks to come. Thank you all for being here, as always, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.